All right, y'all, it's spring, and you know what that means. It's time to start planning our summer festival traveling. Yep, it's time to get into my Airbnb bag cross-country, a.k.a. uh, time to visit my homes all across the country. And you know what I never think about? Why not list my own spot on Airbnb and host some folks at my house? I mean, my house is cute. Yes, let's make money while we're spending money. Just trying to help you out, man, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Tura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts course love supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. This classic episode was produced by the team at Pandora. Hey, this is Sugar Steve, and in this week's QLS Classic episode, Questlove and I sit down with legendary musicians Chuck Rainey and Bernard Purdy to talk through how they influenced, and in some cases invented, the ubiquitous groove that became the music of our lives. Originally released April 17, 2019. Ladies and gentlemen, do not attempt to adjust your dial. This is a special, special edition of Questlove Supreme, only on Pandora. Uh, if you remember previously when uh, Sugar Steve and I had a chance to chat it up with uh, Brother Herb Albert, we just did a, a rogue episode without the family. So we all still family, but right now this is a rogue episode of Questlove Supreme. Uh, I would say right now we are having a summit meeting of the gods uh, we have two gentlemen who have shaped some of the most daring art, funk, pop, rock, soul music of our lives. Not of music, but just of our lives. Uh, our first guest, Brother Chuck Rainey, his his session resume is life goals, having played on classic album after classic album after classic album uh, projects and musicians such as uh, Brother Cal Jada, Eddie Harris. Laura Nero, uh, George Benson, Quincy Jones, Roberta Fleck, Diane Hathaway, Crusaders, Donald Burke, Bobby Humphrey, Marlena Shaw, Sergio Mendez, Marvin Gaye, Minnie Ripperton, Stilly Dan. Whew, it just goes on forever. And not to be outdone, as a drummer, Brother Bernard Purdy inspired the drummer who inspired the drummers who inspires drummers and continues on. 
Uh, this man is quite literally unavoidable in his influence. Both men are. Uh, his resume also, too, reads like life goals. Name it. Herbie Mann, Jack McDuff, James Brown, Nina Simone, Shirley Scott, Hank Crawford, Gene Ammons, Dizzy Gillespie, B.B. King, Five Stair Steps, David Fathead Newman, Sister Aretha Franklin, King Curtis, Gil Scott Heron, Les McCann, Esther Phillips, Cat Stevens, Hall of Notes, Jill Cocker, ahem, the Beatles. <laughs> and yes, yeah, I said it, Steely Dan. Uh, please give it up, y'all, for the one and only Chuck Rainey and Bernard Purdy. It's a QLS. Man, thank you so very, very I much. I really appreciate you guys making it happen. Uh, it should be noted that both of you are um, kind of uh, doing the rounds in celebration of a film that we never thought would see the light of day, which is uh, Aretha Franklin's uh, documentary, Amazing Grace. Many people know that uh, the, the classic live album that came from those sessions in, in, the, uh, in 1972, but many people don't know that there was a, an accompanying uh, film that went along with it. And it's been uh, a miracle to finally get it out to the people. And uh, I, I highly recommend it. it it's, it's a masterclass and a miracle. So we thank you for coming. Um, so how weird is it to... I mean, you guys are, are have written history. And we just take from it. Musicians like myself and all my peers take from it. Um, but for you, is it just like breathing? Like, oh, it's nothing? Like, oh, it's just a Thursday? I'm going to make history today? Like... Oh, never like that. Uh, <laughs> so you're appreciative of, of where we are now? And- well, number one, working is important. You know, having a gig. And, of course, what makes it better is when you get paired up with the same person a whole lot. Okay. And so Bernard and I have been paired up a whole lot. He's, so, he's, he's as much a part of my career as I am. And if I were a drummer, my man, I would play just like him. Well, look, explain this to me. As, as a musician asking uh, in the 60s and 70s, what were the most important uh, traits or what are the m- most important characteristics to have to make sure that you are always constantly being the call guy, being the go-to person for session gigs? Well, for me, it was always the easiest part. Getting the gig was the easiest part? Oh, yeah. I'd beg. What's it? <laughs> I knew, had, how to, I knew how to beg. You um, you begged for gigs? No I, shame. No shame whatsoever. Really? And the beauty of it was I wasn't begging just for myself. I was taking the credit of Chuck Rainey and everybody else that wanted to do it with us. But Chuck and I were actually 50% of all the records that I made was with Chuck. So how... In in a time in which okay, let's take the late sixties, in a time in which uh, a crew like the Wrecking Crew were the default go to people for a lot of uh, West Coast musicians, like how are you able to even ease your way into a system in which you know most people just want half the time I just hear like hey half the people just show up on time, the other half just shuts up and do what they're told, they're not high maintenance. Like, how do you infiltrate your way into a system that otherwise normally would be occupied by someone who's been grandfathered in and locked into a gig? 
You know, actually, uh, that's a great question. For me, I'm a bass player. I've always wanted to just play the bass. So um, whenever I get a call coming out of King Curtis's band, uh, just about everybody came through his band, the King Curtis All-Stars in the 60s, 60s ended up in the studio. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just wanted to play. So, like, I did not maneuver my way into anything other than just be the best player that I could. And a new face always helps, too. Uh, but just uh, uh, just to be prepared and be able to play, to be able to read when it's necessary but when it, and also be able to just play the bass. So I never considered myself working at being a part of a group and the wrecking crew, you know, you mentioned that, you know, like those guys and guy and, and gal and lady, with, yeah, uh, but with Carol, they were. L.A. is a very huge scene, very big scene. Hollywood's a big scene in music, right. and they just happened to be the kind of uh, uh, selective group that producers would hire because they worked together all the time. Between me and Bernard Paul Griffin, um. And Bob, you just basically, and Cornell Dupree or uh, Billy uh, Billy Butler, right? Um, we worked together so much. Eric Gale, I don't know why mm-hmm. he should have been first. Right. Um, uh, we worked together so much that if I were a producer, I would hire the people that are on your record that would work for Allen, that work for C. I mean, I mean, you hire the same people. I think. Now, I, I now don't get me wrong. I think I'm a good bass player. I think I'm a very good musician. You're right. You're, you're <laughs> <laughs> but, but I will say this: a large part of me being involved in so many projects is because of habit. My name was a habit. Who should we get on bass? Chuck Rain just like who should we get on guitar? I mean, bass, uh, drums. Bernard Purdy because our names were a habit. We were on everybody's records, and so usually people hire the last person that they saw. Or the one that they remember. I did jams. I was, I was, I was a bachelor. Mm-hmm. Thought I was kind of halfway cute to begin with, but I had you know, a, lot, a lot of friends. Right. You know, and I played my bass all of the time. And jams, I played for nothing. Many, many times. That's how I got into business. Okay. I think we all went that way right. with Eric. You know, you, 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 you got a year coming up. You don't have a budget. And you want to do it on Sunday. I'm not working on Sunday. And you tell me that... Uh, that Paul Griffin or the Eric Gale or Bernard Purdy's on the gate to what I want to share it with them. So I played a whole lot for nothing. I kind of think that that's what kind of helped both of us in that if I do something for you for nothing and you happen to get it signed mm-hmm. and, and you want to do the rest of the album, basically people will call the same people to help them out. Okay. And I help out just by wanting to play the bass. Now, I, I would say that as, as a listener, um, what made both of you very distinctive in uh, your playing style is the fact that you were able to infuse your personality, per se, in these songs. Normally, I would think that, um, I mean, I've been told by many a producer, musician, like, you know, when you do a session, just do what the song is called for. Try not to infuse yourself too much in it. But um, as far as uh, trademarks are concerned, I mean, I think of you and I instantly think of, like, that's your, that's your, little business card or your little graffiti tag left on every song. So whenever I hear uh, those those near harmonic slide notes, I know, okay, this is, this is a Chuck Rainey affair. And the same with Bernard Purdy. I mean, I, you know, I, I'll be honest with you. So my, my, my father was uh, a, a singer, a musician, uh, a singer, uh, 
who had his period like in the, in the fifties and did some stuff in the seventies. Um, he had a doo-wop group called Leandres and the Hearts, and so yeah, that's my dad. I think <laughs> so. Uh, there was a session that producer Billy Jackson was having uh, in the early seventies. So I I was at this gig, and Bernard was the drummer on the gig, and I was around four years old. And at the end of the session, my dad says, Amir, come here. And he says, I want you to shake this man's hand. And he's like, Bernard, I want you to tell my son how you keep food on the table. And I'll never forget. This is the first thing I remember in life. Bernard said, the two and the four. And at the time, I was confused. Like, huh? But my dad was such a stickler and disciplinary for just keeping it in the pocket. That's all you got to do. You keep it in the pocket, you'll work forever. And, of course, you know, when you're young, you're impressionable. You want to go all over the place. But I will say that you were able to – I wouldn't know – people People know about the fabled Purdy Shuffle, which, of course, is kind of a slowed-down halftime uh, groove, which, for for listeners of today – I would actually say that the Purdy Shuffle uh, could be the genesis of what a lot of trap producers today, um, I feel like that's the beginning of trap. With The Purdy Shuffle is basically, trap music today is basically the Purdy Shuffle minus the swing on it. So still halftime, and a lot of hi-hat grace notes on it. In addition to like uh, your fills, like all these things, all these fills, how are you able to insert your personality on songs uh, that otherwise I feel like any other producer would say, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I just want it straight, no filler. Like, were you, were producers then giving you guys freedom to add your personality to things and, Or you just have free reign of the land? We have never, ever had free range. Really? No. When you get free range is when you can actually tell the producer, try it. You might like it. So you're saying, have you met a producer that was a little bit like, whoop, that's too much? Yeah. Uh, Oh, really? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so Every, you had to fight to get your... <laughs> well, fighting, you know... To, well, not fight, but, you know. But, but there's no, a time to no. deal with that. Yeah. Fighting is the right word. But diplomacy, that's the one that I had to learn. Okay. That was the hardest thing in the world for me. Because I knew immediately when you asked for something, what you knew, what you wanted to, what you wanted to hear... Having Chuck on the base freed me. Okay. It freed me to I could do the Purdy Shuffle. I could do the, the circle in the music. So he was the anchor? Yes, sir. And you, okay, this is similar to the relationship of Ron Carter and uh, Tony Williams, where Ron Carter was the, the, the anchor of Miles Davis and allowed Tony Williams the freedom to weave in and out. So it's... That's very interesting because I would say the same thing about him. See, a lot of my rhythm ideas, a lot of ideas when I do it, like when I'm giving the chord chart, I come up with great ideas by getting rhythm input 
from the drums. Okay. And like I said earlier, if I were a drummer, I know I would play just like him because of the way that it feels. But like I sit on his shoulder. He may think he's sitting on mine, but I'm sitting on his. <laughs> but what he just said earlier, uh-huh. if I had to play bass, I would be Chuck Rainey. Really? And I'd be better than Chuck <laughs> Rainey. <laughs> All okay. my life, I wanted to be better than Chuck Rainey, but I can't play the bass. Who do you, who, both of you, who do you feel your greatest disciples were? Like, I would think, if, as a listener, I would kind of think that perhaps as a drummer, maybe Steve Ferrone, uh, who played with the average white band, um, was a student of yours because he would mm-hmm. infuse your personality and he had a tight pocket rhythm. Mm-hmm. And as a bassist, um, I always thought that Willie Weeks was very <laughs> severely under-championed as far as his playing style and, and infusing your style. But in your eyes, like who, who were some of the musicians that you felt, um, or maybe you don't see them as disciples. They, maybe they were just your equal peers or whatever, but like... Mm-hmm. Who who were the cats that you guys enjoyed, or or perhaps were a little like, hmm, okay, well, I gotta, well, you know, I um, get something from everybody. Okay, basically, I came out of uh, King Curtis's band. I okay, was there for four years, and he is my musical father hero because he taught me discipline, being on time, when to do something, and when not to do it, and to play in tune. That was my that's. That's that's so I would say King Curtis and he wasn't a bass player. But other than that, um What was he like as a band leader? Great. Really? Phenomenal. I mean nobody could I mean he was the epitome of a band leader. And why was he the go to M D for a lot of these projects that Because raised of his, me? his talent. Okay. His talent. Everybody knew him, number one, that he was a great musician. He also knew who the guys were. He knew who the musicians were that could play. Okay. And if he called you to play, he wouldn't have called you if he knew that you couldn't do it. Because he was a rhythm. If you listen to the way he plays, he was like a drummer or a bass player. Okay. So I would say King Curtis. Other than that, James Jameson has been all, uh, very influential to the way that I think as a bass player. So those two people first come to mind, James Jameson and King Curtis. Now, I could go on forever. but I, I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> but you can count me in. On King Curtis. Okay. Most most definitely. The other one was my teacher, Who Mr. Leonard Haywood. Okay. He had a 14-piece orchestra that wasn't his. It okay. It was called the Clyde Bessex Orchestra. But I got this in my hometown in Elkton, Maryland. Every Friday and Saturday, that band played. Right. And they played Dance music. Okay. Everything was dance. You have to move. You got to play something simple. Simple is the key to what music is. And that's what people remember. They can hum. They can sing. They can do anything they want. Mm -hmm. But you need to move the butts in the chairs, the feet, whatever that had to be done. They had to move their bodies. And 99% of the people sitting can move in the chair. Well, let me ask. Okay, so I know that you guys came from an era 
and I listened, even even as someone in the hip hop generation, for a lot of the stuff that we gravitate towards, um, it's all pocket based. Finding the perfect four measures of nothing fancy, of nothing just straight pocket. Um, I mean, I have my thoughts, and I've had a lot of of, of arguments on social media uh, concerning what I feel about the state of... Okay, so right now in 2019, we're kind of in the era of the polar opposite of where you two came from. And there's there's a thing called gospel chops. And gospel chops are kind of like... Uh, it's kind of like watching an all-star NBA basketball game. Now, we know that true NBA... Uh, sportsmanship and and the mark of a true uh championship team are people that know their roles you know this guy's really good at assists but this guy's good at outside shooting and this guy's good at dribbling this guy's great at rebounds like everyone knows their roles however in an all-star game you do run into the danger of if you have five lebrons on the squad or if you have five michael jordans on the same squad then Suddenly, it's overkill. So a lot of musicians today, um, because we live in a highlight real era, uh, it's sort of like the musical equivalent of, hey, Ma, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. And whatever I have to do to get your attention, I will do it. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a cute novelty for a while, but some similar to like a, a rope-a-dope style, you get worn out and you've never seen... You rarely see musicians trust the process of playing in the pocket, just playing a groove without feel free or without, okay, I'm going to go off time here and then I'll pick them up later. So, but I will say that in the, in the 70s, in which a lot of your work is prominent, the genesis of what I now know as gospel chops was just being born. So like when new styles are coming in, uh, as far as bass playing, let's say uh, uh, less Stan- Stanley Clark, let's say with, with the, the the playing of Lewis Johnson or or even Larry Graham, where it's like, okay, now funk songs in E E minor and going all over the place is a thing. Like, what keeps you grounded and just keeping straight ahead and being such a, a, a melodic pocket bass player? Well, I've sort of been trained to uh, first do what the leader wants and how they're doing. Also, too, from our generation, the me aspect of us was a little different. Okay. And that the social media was not at all like it is now. Mm-hmm. Like, I could come to the studio like Harry and Bullock, come to, uh, come to the studio butt naked and play. Nobody cares. Now, of course, when I say it, are you saying Harry Bullock was a no. little crazy with this? Oh, well, okay. no, well, he would dress, he would wear no, wear no shoes. Okay. And stuff like that, you know, but he was such a good player. It doesn't matter in New York in particular. Okay. Uh, so, like, we didn't have to, I didn't have to look good to go to a session. Right, okay. Uh, 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 unless you're someone like Bernard. He wore a suit every day. Uh, he was clean. He was clean. He clean now. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I would think to answer that question sort of like it's today's, uh, I know at Victor Wooten's camp where I'm a regular instructor every year. Right. Uh, they posted my uh, allmusic.com resume on the barn wall. Okay. It's 19 pages. So at the time, I must have been, well, I won't say. 
but I wasn't. You know, I've been around for a while. You've been around, all right. Uh, and so, like, in talking to the students and in my rotations, there were uh, two or three students that found it hard to believe that I was involved in so much stuff until I told them how old I was. Mm-hmm. They think today, they wake up on Monday and they want to be Stanley Clark on Friday, or they want to be a, a, a Larry Graham. Mm-hmm. And they don't understand that Stanley Clark, Larry Graham, Chuck Rainey, uh, James Jimerson, before you even heard of us, we had a large background of experience in playing with a lot of people. Like I've been on the road with just about every R&B act in the, um, out of the 50s and 60s before I even got to do one session. Okay. You know, so like a lot of the guys today, they wanted too quick. Also, too, they wanted for another reason. They wanted, look at me, they want for that. They wanted to say, look at me. Right. I'm just a bass player. I just want to play the bass. I get a kick out of playing the bass, and I'm elated that it shows. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. My name is Johnny B. Good, and I'm the host of the new podcast, Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. Over this nine-part series, I'll explore the life and crimes of my best friend, Ray Trapani. I always wanted to be a criminal. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. You see, Ray has this unique ability to find loopholes and exploit them. They collected $30 million. There were headlines about it. His company, Centratech, was one of the hottest crypto startups in 2017. It was going to change the world, until it didn't. They came into my office, opened my email, and the subject heading was FBI request. It was only a matter of time before the truth came out. You can only fake it till you make it for so long before they find out that your Harvard degree is not so crimson. How could you sit there and do something that you know will objectively cause more harm in the world? Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. No, 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 no. You so you're the opposite? Uh, definitely, most definitely. Everything that he said, I'm going to double it. Okay. But I had a big, big problem when I was coming because I had to beg for everything that I got. And I Are you sure? <laughs> all right, all right. Can you give me an example of a gig that 
you almost didn't get that you had to like, please, please give me a chance? Because I, I would think the work would speak for itself. Just one look. Really? Just one look. Barney Richmond came around the corner. He's the contractor. Right. There was not one drummer and Sweet and uh, Charlie's. Okay. The bar. Right. None around the corners in the the other bar. The restaurant. Not one drummer. And I was running after him. Please, please, please. I'm a drummer. I'm good. I'm good. I can, I can do anything. I can play anything. I read music. I do whatever has to be done. I begged and pleaded, and I followed him for the 15 minutes that he was out there looking, and this was all a demo. Really? This was a demo. So I got there. That was Bob Bushnell. Um uh, uh, Hayes, uh, Ernie Hayes, yeah. and uh, the guitarist, uh, Wally Richardson. Okay. They were sitting there. They had been sitting there for a half hour or more, Wait. waiting for a drummer to show up. So they literally came in a restaurant to, yeah. or a bar to find a well, drummer. But, but that's, that's where, where you, all the musicians... That's where they were all were, Charlie's. That's where everybody... Everybody hung there. Yeah. So that was like the holding place in the... Either you know. Charlie's mm-hmm. or Beef State, Beef State Charlie's. Is that the same yeah, place? Yeah, Beef State, yes. Um, this is in California? No, no. here in New York. Oh, New York. Okay. Yeah. On okay. Broadway. Stuff right happened. on Broadway. Right off of Broadway. Right on the corner. So and just one look, that's all it took? Beef yeah. State Charlie's had uh, like all-you-can-eat shrimp, right? The peel-and-eat... Uh, <laughs> the, the big salad bar. They did? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Beef yeah. State Charlie's. Well, that was, was one of the main reasons... Because that was the cheapest thing in there. Oh, <laughs> I see. You know, and, and they catered to musicians. Th- thank you, everybody. Because Jim, the musicians would play free in the place just to play. They Jim, didn't. Nobody. Jim nobody Ant- wanted any money. They wanted to be there. They got play. drinks. They just. That was the place to hang. Okay. But I was actually too young to hang. But the thing was. Oh, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> but the beauty for me is that all I did, I asked Ernie Hayes to play mm-hmm. the uh, piano, piano, and uh, Bob Bushnell. He started playing the bass because I wanted to find out what the tune was about. So for me, basically, I just wanted where the tempo. Just show me. Where the temple, and then I just went cross stick only, so okay. I could just feel. Okay. But I put the feeling into the four people. They were in the control room, fussing, and cursing each other out, and everything else, blase, blase. And the engineer, he, you know, tapped and says, "Hey, hey, listen." Because he had turned it up just a tiny bit. Just to hear you playing. Yeah. And then they turned, they looked, 
They lit symbols, and it was like, whoa, what's that? Well, well who's the drummer? Who's Ern- Barney Richmond said, I don't know. He's been bugging me. He said he can play anything. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know who he is, you know. So they listened. She started singing because the, the only thing that was missing was where the flavor should be. Right. Whether you're playing quarter notes, whether you're playing eights, whether you're playing sixteenths, or whether you're playing dotted. So you just have to know where the rhythm needs to be. Can I ask, um, okay, so I'm, based on everyone that I get on this podcast, the, the story always varies. Um, I'm slowly finding out. Now, again, I, I was raised by, you know, a drill sergeant father who's like, you know, you got to, you know, practice five hours a day. Da, 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 da. Yeah. I want to go outside. No, you got to practice, which I get. Um how imperative or how much of an advantage was it to be able to know how to read thoroughly? So when new songs come to you, do you get <clears throat> a cassette a week at advance? <laughs> or is it just like, here's your charts. I'm giving you three minutes to look it over. Really? Listen, if I got three minutes, I had that was a lifetime for me. Me too. What? You see, Everybody. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, we were young. Okay. And Bob Bushnell and all those people were at least 10 years our senior. Okay. So when we came on the scene, we were younger. Eric, me, Cornell, uh, although Cornell wasn't that much involved, but we were young people. And we also had a different view of what he's saying about the groove. We played the groove a little differently. I played more rhythm on my bass than Bob. Okay. Yes. He was older than I was. Okay. Uh, now, what did you just ask? Well, I'm t- like when you're getting a song. Oh, now hold it, hold it right there. Okay. I'm being very honest with you. Okay. Coming from demos, nothing's written. And we both got involved in this business doing demos. Working for people who don't know sick from come here about music. (laughs) But they have the money and they have the connection. Yeah. Right. And so they just hire the people to make things up. Like most of the, uh, most of the, uh, just make it, if there's a chord chart, yeah. sometimes you will make out your own chord chart. Yeah. I stopped doing that because that ain't my job. <laughs> but now. See, you know, I always felt like I was lied to. No, I'm just, when you're eight years old and your dad's like, you got to go to Juilliard so you can know. I'm under the impression that these albums I'm listening to were thoroughly written out, like part for part for part. Here you go, and then I got to get the piece of paper and know one, two, three, dot it, and two, three, and yeah, you got to know. Like I learned, I was taught that you have to know how to read on site the second you see these drum charts, because ain't no producer gonna have the patience to sit there and wait for you to figure out. Thank you. What it is, but are you saying half the time is just like not half? More than half the time. Here's, here's the chords and make, <laughs> make up the rhythm. You go to Steely Dan. Yeah. Go to Quincy. All of them, they don't write no bass parts. And they don't write the drum parts. So they're like, you got it. And they're smart because the continuity director, exactly. they say, okay, we know what to do here. Like Walter and Donald did not know anything at all about us, at all. Gary Katz did because he was a New York producer. Right, okay. And so like he would hire because he knows Walter and Donald. Number one, they're very strange to begin with. Yes. And when I say strange, I know. it's not negative. It's just that they're different. But they don't know what to play. 
Right. They don't know what the bass should do. Maybe they have an idea. They don't know what kind of drum beat should be there. They don't know these things. They, they don't have that, well, you know, the word I'm talking about. Okay. Even Quincy never wrote one note for me. Same, really? Same here. So, like, walking in space and all that stuff? No. Is not one note. Chord not- chart. What? Now, i tell you why yeah. that is. Yeah. Okay. i tell you why that is. You have people, you have musicians that are... Uh, talent is, of course, talent is the word to use, but they, they are, they, rhythm is very important. Like he said earlier, people want to dance. Even in jazz, they want to dance. And there are certain people that can give you, if you don't know what to play, if you don't, if you don't know what I should play on this song, I bet you the house, the farm, I got something for you if you ain't got nothing. Mm-hmm. Because I'm a rhythm person. Right. There and I've go. had in, experience well, there's only there's only seven notes in music, rhythms. I would think that probably there's 32, but I've only seen maybe nine rhythms for the play as a bass player. Right. So now, when you start worrying about reading, you have to learn how to read by experience. Okay. Now you don't have to, and you also have to have experience to create something. But there are jobs that you get that we both have clients that write out everything. Okay. But then we have most of our clients don't write out nothing. They hire the person that can come up with a part. I'm supposed to create a part for you that sounds like you wrote it. So if you look at the bass lines that I play, they're, they are repetitive. Okay. Like the, the lines are repetitive because it sounds like Quincy uh, wrote it or it sounds like oh, Donnie Hathaway was different. <laughs> Meticulous. <laughs> oh. say, uh, it, it's- Before you play anything, Chuck, before you do anything, do this first, and I really don't want anything else. Okay. Now, it took a couple of years for Donnie to trust me uh, to, to do because, like, I was popular. And I do have a style and a flair about how I'm seeing things. Right. But he insisted that you play this first before you do your thing. And I don't really want your thing. And he was a master. Yes. Really? Not only a master, but the point is, is that it wasn't... His date wasn't his. He was writing for other artists. Okay, okay. So all of this was all written down, written Who, out. Okay. If you want that gig, you got to know how to read. You got to know how to okay. read. Okay, okay. There, there's so much of the, your both of your collective canons are, you know, it's so much to to dig through. Uh, I'll, I'll briefly touch on a few of them. But I'll start with what gig was considered a fun gig? Who did you look forward to as a bassist, as a drummer? Who's the one artist like, ooh, we're going to have fun on this one? Aretha. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. Yes. Tell us, okay, uh, let's pick a random song. Tell me about Rocksteady or just well, no, Rocksteady. A, a, a memorable. Rocksteady is very interesting. Okay. Number one, I love telling the story. Okay. If I get long-winded, y'all stop. No, that's what this show's for. <laughs> we went down to Miami in the wintertime. Okay. Now, living in New York in the winter is different than living in Miami. Okay. And so we're going to Miami. It's beach. Atlantic took good care of us. We were staying in a mansion, you know, uh, and we, we played. Now, we went to the studio, Criteria, one morning, and our car picked us up. Okay. Before uh, Tommy Dowd. 
and uh, Aretha and whoever else was there before their car picked them up. Right. So we got there first with Gene Paul. And yeah. what I'm saying is Gene Paul is... Les Paul's son. Les Paul's son. Okay. But Gene Paul was the second engineer. Second engineer. Everything that came out of Atlantic Records. Okay. As far as engineering goes, Tommy Dowd is the one that they look to. Wrong. Gene Paul. He's the one that set the mics. Right. He's the one that set the... Anyway, so we're at, we're, we're at Criteria. We had a great breakfast. The sun is shining. It's 85, 90 degrees. And uh, Aretha was there. Okay. So I guess Aretha did come. Uh, yeah. But but uh, Tommy Dowd and Jerry Weston weren't there. And so uh, Dream Paul set up in the mics. I think it was the second song that we'd done. And and she taught us the song. She taught us all the songs. She would sit down and play the song and teach us the song. Arif wasn't there. Or they didn't pick Arif up, the arranger. Right. And so she taught us the song. Now, when Arif and, and uh, Tommy Dowd and Jerry Weston got there, we knew the song. But Arif's job was he was the arranger. So he would now have to learn the song. So we sit there and play what we knew when he would write down a chord chart. You know, he would write, he did that all the time. Right, okay. Um, I write a chord chart. Now, we tracked the song and before they got there as a demo. We demoed the song as a demo. So when they got there, they heard the demo and blah, blah, blah. I think we worked all morning trying to improve. Trying to improve. Trying to improve it. So what you're hearing on Rocksteady is a demo. So the only thing that's different... They went back to the original demo and kept the... They went back to the original music that they heard. And the feel. And the feel. That was everything. So he came in and tried to change it up a little bit. They always do. They always do. Because <laughs> every, every arranger in the world does it. Because they want to get... They're they, the producer or hey, they're the arranger. They get paid for they that. get territorial pissing, I guess. Whether they did it or not. But Rocksteady is a demo. If you listen to it, it almost you can see it in a way. But it's the groove. It's the groove. And Aretha was playing with us. She played with us. And so, like, a thing about, you mentioned the gospel world yes. for a second. Now, I'm, I'm out of the Pentecostal church. Right. And I've been immersed in that all my life. And you can't get no more rhythmic. You can't get no more feel out of a good Pentecostal shutdown. You know, uh, as far as like the Amazing Grace album, it showed a little bit of it. Yes, a little bit of it. Now uh, uh, the Border Song is not on that album, but oh, but the Border Song is the most precious thing I've ever recorded because it takes me right back to my being being twelve years old, sitting up in church and listening to the choir. Okay, you know, and the feel of it is that's gospel, that's Pentecostal gospel. Um, and so that, that we both sat at Aretha's funeral and cried. But listening to it, that, that choir was slamming. Wow. That choir was just, it was very large too, but slamming. Uh, so like, when it gets to, I've talked so much that I forgot what we were talking about. Rock steady. Rock steady. Yes. <laughs> it's a demo. We had a good time that way too. Uh, uh, we had a very, very good time with that. We did... Um, uh, I don't know how many songs we did, but Rocksteady's a demo, and Aretha played with us. She played with us on every song, by the way, first. Yes. How is she as a musician? Not not much is made about her piano playing. She's a great piano She's player, like Marlena Shaw. Great piano player. Roberta Marlena Black. Shaw played piano? Yes. Are you kidding me? What? Oh, man. Pentecostal, <laughs> like Valerie Simpson. Pentecostal. Both. They can play. I never knew Marlena Shaw was a piano player. Well, well yeah. she doesn't play that much because her nails are that long now. 
Claudine but, White Nails. Okay. But like she has played, I've been on tour with her for the last nine years. She retired. Wow. And we just go to Japan. Okay. The thing, me and David T. Walker and Harvey Mason. Does she still do the go away little boy speech? Yeah, absolutely. She, yeah. Really? Oh, oh man. Boy. That's off the who is his bitch yeah, anyway. Yeah, who is his bitch anyway? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I had that record. No. But she, Aretha had a lot to do with, all she had to do was sit down. Sit down. Just sit down and play. She tinker. She tinker. Just play, but the feel. That like, was the whole thing. Spanish Harlem is a uh, a song that crosses two rhythm borders. Right. It's eight to the bar, and it's and it's also shuffle. Not a shuffle, but it's just two different grooves there. Right. It, it, but it is. Uh, the idea of it is it is to make it feel like a shuffle, because that part I got from you. No, but I got it from you. Yeah, well, <laughs> y'all and, just gonna compliment each other whole episode. No, uh, no, but it's just see, for me, mm-hmm. I was fresh out of Jamaica. Okay, doing Bob Marley and all this other stuff. I had done two. You just casually drop that like it's. <laughs> well, I made two albums with it. The first two albums. Really? Yeah. That's you. Yes. But the point is, Mind is that right now. it's it's see, I I don't mind anything with anybody. Okay. I don't have a problem if somebody wants to take credit for something. You go right ahead, cause I know what I did. Also, too, if you're listening, you can tell the difference between this drummer and that drummer. You know the difference between this bass player and that bass player, and those. And I'm not talking about musicians. I'm talking right. about the general public. They know the difference between, like, Steve Gadd, who's a great drummer, mm-hmm. and Bernard Purdy. You can tell. Just like with bass players, and you know, I'm a musician, but a lot of the people who are not musicians, they can say, that's you. That's- okay, so <clears throat> let's talk about that. All right, I'm going to get to the, the Beatles ghosting story. Uh, what, session have you, what sessions have you done that you had to ghost somebody? I have to what? Kill somebody? No, no, no. Ghost. (laughs) (laughs) All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. My name is Johnny B. Good. And I'm the host of the new podcast, Creating a Con, the story of BitCon. Over this nine-part series, I'll explore the life and crimes of my best friend, Ray Trapani. I always wanted to be a criminal. 
if someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. You see, Ray has this unique ability to find loopholes and exploit them. They collected $30 million. There were headlines about it. His company, Centratech, was one of the hottest crypto startups in 2017. It was going to change the world, until it didn't. I came into my office, opened my email, and the subject heading was FBI request. It was only a matter of time before the truth came out. You can only fake it till you make it for so long before they find out that your Harvard degree is not so crimson. How could you sit there and do something that you know will objectively cause more harm in the world? Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm, I've heard sessions well, of like well-known bands that in which the baseball like okay let's it, get da 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 come here and sweeten it up for real. And, but it's not even about using the word ghosting. We fix. Okay. Okay. So give me that's, some fixing stories. Like who have you fixed that you weren't credited for, but that's you. Well, I. For me, there's about 2,000 at see. least. Okay. There's about 2,000. I got paid. Can I we paid. can we talk about the Beatles story? You can talk about it, but what it is for me, it's a dead issue. That issue has hurt me so badly. It has? Yeah. Absolutely. See, I'm a, I've fixed 21 tracks. Okay. That's it. There was nothing. That, <laughs> she has a musician. I get it all the time. I do it all the time. I Listen, fix people. And but I was do what I was doing at that particular time mm-hmm. is that I was doing the group from France, uh, all these different countries. Mm-hmm. They were bringing the music over to fix music and and to make music, right? Because it was the way things were done. The record labels would not pay. Would not they, none of these groups would have gotten signed right. if studio musicians were not Weren't playing. They? Yeah, I think that that's one. Okay, so for our listeners out there that are a little lost, basically, uh, you know. Okay, well, it, as you as we discussed in the Philip Bailey Earth, Wind, and Fire episode, mm-hmm. um, we made some discoveries that yes, you know, occasionally Maurice White would use a core of a few musicians that weren't the the central the members of Earth, Wind, Fire, either they're touring, or even the Beach Boys. Like, Brian Wilson pretty much made Pet Sounds with the, <clears throat> the Wrecking Crew, yes. while the, the people that we know as the Beach Boys went and toured. But it doesn't make it any less of a fraud or anything. It's just, it's, you gotta... It was the way of the world. Yes, exactly. And many, many non-musicians don't know that's the modus operandi, you know. And that is what all the record companies, right? All of them, they all said the same thing. I'm not going to spend one hundred and fifty thousand dollars on somebody that we don't know. Your boys, we like your boys, but you got to use studio musicians, yeah. Because what it is, bam, 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 they knock the songs out. Also, too, for drummers, I've experienced this too. The drummer has to hit the snare in the same place. Every time. Consistently, yeah. But now, uh, on the road, you don't have to because sound equipment will make the sound okay. But so you got to use a studio drummer who's used to hitting That's that snare in the same place. Or else you're going to have a million dollars worth of remix money, which you don't have. Yeah. The same way with bass players. A good 
there are a lot, I, I know I'm a good bass player. Mm-hmm. However, there are a lot, I think there are a lot of bass players that play better than me. But they're road bass players. When I sit down to play, I, when I've overdubbed a lot of other bass players, mm-hmm. mainly because what they played was okay. It's just that it was not as audible as it should be. Tone and... Tone-wise, whereas like I've been, I play a certain way in the studio to make a note a particular kind of way. Did you... Okay, so was the preference for you to be a road drummer or a studio musician like... Or is the grass greener on the other side? Like, you're in the studio like, damn, I wish we were in Europe. And you're on the road and it's like, ah, I miss New York sessions. Like, what's the... No. <laughs> yes. Being able to play and whether you on the road or in the studio, mm-hmm. that is the best news in the world. You're working, and your name is going to be out there. Okay. It took the record labels maybe 40 years before they put studio musicians' name on the record. When they found out that they can guarantee 10% more profit, and not have to do anything. They didn't give us anything. By putting our names on it, gave us a little bit of something that kept us kept working. Kept our work, okay. Like who you know today, or know us as today. Okay. And I, I, I agree. I probably have said the same thing. Mm-hmm. Working is important. It's you super know, important. Money. Baby shoes, the bank, and uh, I'm missing stuff. Alan, help me out here. You know, uh, they're very important for baby shoes and the bank. Right, okay. You know, so you have to work for your car note. I see. So you have to, uh, you have to make money. Uh, you have to work. So working in live in Europe, doing a session to me is the same thing. Are there, could you tell me anything that you guys remember about the particular Amazing Grace project? Um, how it was presented and, and what the preparations that went into it were? I'm sorry that you know, like, the world would never be able to hear the rehearsal. That's what I talked about with somebody today. The rehearsals was the real deal. For real? Oh. And when you listen to the recording, the sound is not bad. The sound, the sound is good. It's good. It's but good. they should have recorded that album in James Cleveland's, Cleveland's church. Okay. Because we were there all week. And we got used to it. Right. You and know? So we were you rehearsing James Cleveland's church, yeah, yeah. and then relocated to right. okay, right. okay. But I, I, you know, I, I've been talking about it. I've said it for years. If people could have seen, seen what happened in the rehearsals, besides her singing, she preached. She actually preached. Really? Oh. Oh my heavens, Alan! Were you there during the rehearsals? All <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> you know, well, uh, you were only seven, but I, you were in the studio. I saw you in the yeah, studio. When you so seven, you were right? you were seven years old watching this? No, I wasn't there. He wasn't there. Yeah, I, I the 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 project first came to my attention in um, I think two thousand three, and I saw just a. a maybe a, a, a four-minute mark of it, and I was like, wait a minute. Is that the Rolling Stones sitting in the Deacon's pew? Yeah. Like, how how major was this? Like, again, I I just thought it was a live album, and well, that's, that's what it, it was supposed to be. He was there on the, the last day. 
and Pollock just happened to have cameras running and no, no, they no, had the cameras all no. week. They had okay. the cameras rehearsal all week. Really, and, and you had other folks that are now superstars that were there early, right? right. <laughs> but you don't see them. Are there any other projects that you guys have done that's like sitting in the can somewhere, like you? Any festivals that have could been be, It could be. We're well, not privy. We're, we're not privy to I'm a I'm privy of to one. Okay. And that was on Bang Records. Okay. Another Bang label. Well, the Bang <laughs> label, 85% of the artists, uh-huh. I made their records. Don't tell me you're on Brick's debt. Mm-hmm. Listen to it. <laughs> That's all you have to I do. I mean, what be, a, being a drummer, just listen to it. Yes. You can tell what, what album? All right. So, uh, uh, Brick, um, our our listenership should know the lead singer Brick is the father of Sleepy Brown, who's made a lot of outcast classics in Atlanta. They're a unit from uh, um, Atlanta, and uh, they had a major hit uh they 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 wrote a song about their amalgamation of disco and jazz called Daz, and um, it was it was a notable hit. Uh, yeah, you know we were talking earlier about groove and uh-huh. thing. The disco era proved the point that uh, that that Bernard was making. The beat, the feel, people want to dance. How did you feel about Four on the Floor? Did I you feel a certain way about it. Or? Yeah, I didn't like it. Really. Because uh, it limit it, it got no, in your way, or? O- only in country music. Now, being in New York, playing country music is progressive country music. Yeah. Now, see with Lynn Novi, pure country from the west, from the, from, from the mountains of West Virginia. Yeah. Except that we got a chance to put a little bit of this all. It's country, violin, fiddle, is everything like that. Except that underneath it, it was progressive, and so you could do something other than four on the floor. Now, I've been in Dallas, Texas, for the last. 35 years, mm-hmm. and I had to learn how to deal with the four on the floor because of the baby shoes and the bank. You know, as far as playing with the the uh, with the downbeat of, of the drummer and also following the left hand of a piano. That's traditional country. I did it because I had never done it before, and I came out of New York not doing that. Right. In, in New York, they didn't do that. So floor on the floor doesn't bother me anymore, especially... Oh, when I get to all the, the babies are grown now. No more baby shoes. Right. You know, but. <laughs> well, grandbabies, maybe. Yeah, well, yeah. Yep. <laughs> but daddy. <laughs> daddy Taking care of grandbaby. You know, you had mentioned uh, memorable things from Amazing Grace. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say this. I'm probably going too far. Nope. Not far enough. Uh, but I've done at least 15 interviews since she died. Okay. And I'm all, always compelled. I talk to Rita at least once a year. Okay. Um, and it was always short. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I remember about that whole thing is, number one, King Curtis had put together a band of gentlemen. Okay. We weren't loosey-goosey, average musicians. But when we got to California, James Cleveland went out of his way a couple of times to remind us that we were in church and about the women and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And I remember, to be good. Some, I remember somebody told him to back off because this was a different kind of band. Right, okay. And that bothered me because really? I am a gentleman, and so okay. is he. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, too, when it came to uh, uh, to rehearsing, I felt that the whole deal was more about James Cleveland and Aretha. I mean, I saw it, I felt it. 
Okay. Um, I felt that he uh, it was all about him. Mm-hmm. Uh, all during the week was a pain in the butt in how he was doing things. If you look at the film, although I haven't seen the latest film, but I do know there's a whole lot of hesitation uh, deciding what to do after each song. He's going over and talking to, what was his name? The um, uh, He's in a wheelchair now, Alexander. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Talking, discussing yeah. this, and Aretha just sitting there. You know, it's like a service, you know, uh, and that it was too much about him. That didn't bother. Micromanaging? Yeah. Well, no, managing. Okay. Now, the only thing that's my saving grace was this. I just moved to L.A. Okay. And I was engaged to be married. Okay. And uh, she also thought it was a big deal uh, to, uh, to, to, to to come to church, you know, and to, to look at, you know, what was going on because Aretha was a big deal. Right. Um, but during the whole thing, people being too protective over their pastor. I mean, I parked somewhere one time in front of the church. God came and said, my, my pastor parks here. And so I said, well, there should be a sign, you right. know, something like that. I mean, I wasn't rude or anything like that. But there's a whole lot of, yeah. there's a whole lot of, California, patriarchy, New uh, York kind of things. And, you know, the two coasts have always had a little different kind of thing going on. But Saving Grace for me was playing those songs over and over and over. It wasn't really necessary. As a matter of fact, on the second day of rehearsal, Mm -hmm. they could have recorded the album. Really? Because when it comes to the rhythm. How many days of rehearsal were there? Were there all week? Four. We had four days of rehearsal. And And the three days of recording. And you guys were that intense with those songs, or was it just like well, ah, run we, through? And we, we all knew those. We songs. knew the song. We knew what we were supposed to do. Okay. Every See, song on that album is from the Gospel Pearl Songbook. And I played gospel before I played anything else. Okay. In life. Okay. So right. I didn't have a problem playing gospel, and I didn't have a problem playing for the last forty, fifty years. Because I still go and I play with gospel groups. So on the other side of that coin, I, I would imagine the answer would be Steely Dan. But, okay, well, th- pretty much the world knows how hard uh, or how rigid or anal retentive or whatever difficult word you want to put put in that description. But besides the Steely Dan uh, sessions... Uh, what client was also quasi tightly wound as far as <laughs> rigorous rehearsals, micromanaging, uh, a session that would make you want to roll your eyes like, uh, okay. That happens 40 to 50% of the Thank time. Thank you. Well, just give me an example. <laughs> it's, it's hard. But usually, you played on so many, usually like you, the Mizell brothers. Usually you forget those people. <laughs> <laughs> Bert DiCoteau. Hmm? Bert DiCoteau. Well, Bert wasn't that. Uh, what were his sessions, though? <laughs> yeah. What were his sessions <laughs> Bert, Bert, that Bert, I would know? Bert Dicoteau was like Donny Hathaway. They arranged hundreds of New York of artists that, that were recording here. So okay. it's hard to, it's hard to you find You can't name one. one song? No, I found that. Oh, one of the songs is uh, the, the Three Degrees. Which one? The biggest All one they've them. had. <laughs> Well, that, that would be like maybe. Yep. No, keep going. Maybe. Go ahead. <gasps> keep going. Keep going. Well, wait, wait. To the hip hop generation, maybe means everything to us because yeah. it's been chopped and sampled, and so of course, like three degrees version of maybe, 
well, before they went to Philly International, that means something to my my generation. So, well, are you mm-hmm. making us really look old? No, but it's it's <laughs> but new. We are. It's, we are. it's super new. But so it's, it's not new. It's not new. When you look, when because you look, that's what we had to do. Uh, you mean it's new for you? Well, it's okay. Not new for me per se, because I grew up with that record. Let me give an example. So, in my world, uh, there's shall we say a guru um and his name is james yancey aka jay dilla um who was a producer from detroit who basically made us just listen to uh older records in a new way so this is an example of him taking the three degrees maybe and what he calls flipping it which he will take a song sort of chop the parts and redo them, so. I'm at the bus stop and I heard a voice behind me say, Hi, baby. Oh, I just fell all apart inside because I hadn't heard that voice in such a long time. I turned around. Hi. So... Dill is the kind of guy he'll he'll use a record, and he's so inspirational. Now, what makes this particular project notable was that uh, he passed away from lupus, so he's making this this kind of his his uh, he's making this record in the hospital, kind of in in the last months of his life. So he wasn't even able to talk or be mobile, but his brain was still able to create miracles. So. Any record that he ever uses will then make cats like me turn around and pay top dollar for those old records, read the credits, and then study those credits, and then buy all those records, and then buy all those records. And so that's what I mean by, by him being a, a, a guru, but it's just weird that what might be an eye-roll session for you, that time we played, you know... For someone in my generation, that could be everything. Like, I didn't know that you played drums on Synthetic Substitution by Herb Rooney. And I'm certain that you're tired of hip-hop historians like, oh, my God, you played on Synthetic Substitute? Like, I'm sure that's a footnote in your life. Like, oh, that thing, like, I did that in two seconds. But that was the way things were. You guys wanted something different. So you would actually take and try to turn records completely all the way around. Yeah, but, but it's just so weird that something that could be a footnote in your life could be an anchor like 30 years down the line. Like, how do you feel feel about that? I mean, I think well, it's great, but we don't think of it that way. You know, If we, we did, like, do you know how important we would have fought. Your work well, on Donald Byrd's records are, like, something like Think Twice. Mm-hmm. Or, or, or uh, I'm assuming like Harlem River Drive mm-hmm. or, or Fancy Dance, like all that Bobby Humphrey stuff. Especially now that we have access to uh, the stems and can individualize the tracks and just listen. Like it's Pete Rock would die right now if he knew I was talking to you. Like you, you between, between, uh, uh, between uh, the Ohio players' um, uh, turban on his head, uh, Marshall Jones. Marshall. Between yeah. Marshall Jones and you, 
like you guys birthed Pete Rock's whole life, which in turn he, he birthed yeah. us. You know what I mean? And it just it mm-hmm. just goes in circles. So you guys are in in, in this in this generation. Uh, you know, you have so much technology mm-hmm. that you can do these kind of things. We couldn't do that. And plus, you mentioned Donald. You are that. <laughs> you are the technology. Like you mentioned Donald Byrne and Bobby Humphrey. You see, once, and I, we talked about this early, uh-huh. once you come into favoritism with one producer, everything they do, you're, they, they call you. Everything the Myzales did... I was a bass player during a certain span of time. Freddie Perrin and, Mize- and, 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 and the Mizales. What is Freddie Perrin like? I, I never get to hear stories about him as a producer. What was he? He's one of those kind of people that sort of kind of, uh, he's able to be in a room and you don't know that he's there. Okay. I don't remember much about Freddie other than he was very religious. Really? Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. But once you start working with them, they keep they, everything they do. They got their thing. They call the same people over and over and over and over and over again. Okay, you know, I was listening to a um, a, a radio program where um, um, Donald Bird's uh, band, uh, the original band of the uh, Blackbirds, the Blackbirds, they were talking, and I kind of feel sorry for a lot of these guys because I did three records with Donald Bird. But you listen. But you listen. You listen to these guys, and everything's made about that they were the original band, and and how you, they're talking. They, I mean, of course, they feel free. Everybody has an ego, and so I'm I'm in there with my with uh, with, with my uh, son-in-law, and 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 we're talking about you know. He said, "Wow, do you know these guys? I do not have a clue on who they are, other than that they had to have been a road band for Donald Byrd." But they did not make those records. I was going to say that has to be you on the Blackbird Records too. Oh yeah. So that's you on Rock Creek Park and yeah. and walking in rhythm and 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 the music business is very very good. Bobby Humphrey mm-hmm. is not a great musician. No. But her records sold her a records lot. Sold. Okay. A lot because of the rhythm section they put Jerry Peters, Harvey Mason, me, David T. Walker. Um, uh, we we also work as a group. Absolutely. Oh, are you on on love? His uh, the album with the love vibrations. Yes. No. Oh. Whew. Okay. <laughs> but I'm glad you I was know. Going to die know, right now. You know you um you have a uh, you got a you you know a lot about. Um, I'm a sponge man. I'm a sponge. Uh, David T. Walker. Yeah. Um, love vibrations. I was here in New York. I just got to New York when that record came out. Okay. Okay. And David was here with the uh, with the band called the Kinfolk. Yes. Okay. And um, Love Vibrations is one of my, when I heard that record, I almost died. Really? Because of the feel and the sound. Not so much of what the rhythm was, although I'm a rhythm guy. Mm -hmm. But nobody, nobody, no guitar player sounds like David E. Walker. He's special. You're right. None. You know, with his solo and everything. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. So you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. 
I mean, my whole house? Uh, well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. My name is Johnny B. Good, and I'm the host of the new podcast, Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. Over this nine-part series, I'll explore the life and crimes of my best friend, Ray Trapani. I always wanted to be a criminal. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. You see, Ray has this unique ability to find loopholes and exploit them. They collected $30 million. There were headlines about it. His company, Centratech, was one of the hottest crypto startups in 2017. It was going to change the world, until it didn't. I came into my office, opened my email, and the subject heading was FBI request. It was only a matter of time before the truth came out. You can only fake it till you make it for so long before they find out that your Harvard degree is not so crimson. How could you sit there and do something that you know will objectively cause more harm in the world? Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So I assume with Freddie Perrin, uh, can I also assume that the Silvers and the Jackson 5 are also under your... No, I didn't play with the Silvers. Jerry Peters um, and Craig Johnson produced the Silvers. Okay. And that was a little bit before my time in Hollywood. Oh, for the Jackson 5? Oh, for the Jackson 5. The Jackson 5 was the Jackson 5. It wasn't... Because uh, um, I'm the one that also made the record for the Jackson 5 in the beginning. Which ones? The very beginning. The first one, the one that was written by the... Um, the corporation? No. Well, he he was on TV. He he had his big job on TV. Uh, um, you talking about a producer? No, he wasn't. A producer. He was the actual writer of the song. Oh, uh, Clifton, Clifton Clifton Davis. Clifton Davis. So never can say goodbye. Yes, that's you. What uh, songs are you on? Uh, uh that's down. I don't don't think it. Down, dancing machine. Shit, that's you. And um. <laughs> I'm sorry, Bill. I, I know. I know. There's a nightmare for you. <laughs> uh, very, very interesting too about when you get to if it's, if it's, if it's okay. Tell it. Um, I just come from New York. Yes. And I was living in Hollywood. Uh huh. Now, if you come from New York, you have a certain New York attitude, uh, especially if you're making money. That you're hipper. You know, not that you're hipper, no. but you just don't have to put up with. You don't have to put up with BS. Right. Thank you. And you and you and the New York attitude is to tell you when it's full of shit. Oh, you know, when, when it's not cool. The, the, I like you. <laughs> <laughs> Steve approves. <laughs> and um, number one, Motown had a, um, a Ben Barrett. I don't mind talking about him because everybody hated him. Okay. I did. And so now everybody knows he was not a likable guy. Okay. And um, um, I <laughs> I came up 
around, not came up around, but I knew Smokey Robinson. I knew the devastating affair. I knew I knew a lot of these musicians, these people, uh-huh. because they're from my neck of the woods. I'm from Ohio, right? And every now and then I would be on tour with one band from Ohio that's with somebody from Detroit or from Chicago. It's anyway, right? Um, um, Smokey or somebody else would call. They had two 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 studios, Sunset and Sunrise, and so they would call for me. Because they, number one, personally, they knew me. And plus, I did have a little bit of a rep. Right. And Ben sometimes would take the liberty of putting you over here in this studio. Okay. And putting you over here. And I had to straighten him out real quick. Okay. And I didn't mind doing it because I was fresh out of New York. I said, I, he hired me. Right. I know him. So I'm not going to Sunset. Okay. I'm going, blah, blah, blah. So that was one thing. I'm getting away from the Jackson 5 thing. I got you. The producer was a pain in the butt. He's the kind of producer where when you're going to do a session... He's got four or five people in the in the control room. His cousin, his old lady, his yeah. blonde, 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 blonde. Okay. And drugs were very, very prominent at the time. Right. And when we did a um, uh, 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 dancing machine, perfect. I mean, perfect. James Gaston. I mean, we we it was perfect on like the second take. Yes. But Motown would keep you there for forty takes. Just to get their money's worth? Just to get, and the, and the guy who wrote the song will be producing, and we got a click track, but he's breaking a sweat, directing us. Right. Five, five musicians. Anyway, we recorded it. So back then, you even used click tracks? Huh? Back then, click tracks were still used? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. So but If you know how to play with a click track, you don't have that problem. Right. Okay. And it's very, very hard for people to play, especially drummers, the average drummer, to play with a click track. Right. Mm-hmm. I've experienced that in Texas, I mean, a whole lot. Yeah. Now, so we record the song. I want to, the producer's dead now, but his name is Hal. Hal Davis? Hal Davis. Yes. <laughs> um, so he decides, he, he decides that they don't want to hear the bass. They don't want to hear the bass until, until maybe the third verse. What? Okay, that was, that was his problem. So now the engineer and James Carmichael uh-huh. wrote the arrangement. Right, arrangement. James Carmichael told him. The engineer told him. James Gatson told him, and I told him. All you got to do is pull the fader down. Mute. Right. And then bring it back up. But no, he's producing. He's, his nose is running and he's producing. <laughs> uh-huh. And so he don't want me to play. And it's ridiculous. No town I thought was very ridiculous. I can talk about that a lot. Right, okay. Uh, however, so like, okay, did the session. About two or three weeks later, Ben Barrett calls me. He wants me to um, come back and do an overdub, and I ignore him. I didn't need a Motown client. Right. I didn't need a Motown. Right. I was from Quincy all the way down to his the father. Uh, to, uh, to to a lot of people, I was taking care of business. Right. My wife, the baby, the bank was happy with my butt. Right. Okay. So I didn't need Motown, especially if it was giving me some kind of a. And there are a lot of things I'm not saying that's in that. I feel you. And so I can read. It. Uh, I don't. I don't return the call. Uh, to, to to your girl, to Ben Barrett. Right. I don't return. I don't want to work for him. Right. I don't have to put it that way. I feel I you. Have to. I feel you. And so, time goes by. So how David calls me. Oh, number one, Ben Barrett had a, had a habit of calling you directly on your line, directly to you. Yes. It ain't supposed to happen that way. You call the answering service, the answering service calls you. Calls you and then. Uh, so anyway, 
uh, he uh, Ben Barrett he calls me for 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 uh, he calls me to come back. I have to come back and fix something. Uh, anyway, I didn't I didn't call him back. Right now, I lived in in Hollywood on Vermont in the, in the Oakwood Garden Apartments that was huge. All musicians stayed. You know, yeah, it was just huge. And to get to my apartment, you had to know where my apartment was. Right. You know, I came home one day, and Hal David's heart was in my door. And he said, Chuck, please give me a call. We need you to come and fix something. Uh-huh. So when somebody went that far, I said, well, I'll give him a call. And so he said he made a mistake that I had to come. They had, they had tried Wilton Felder. They had tried uh, Tom Scott's, uh, I can't think of his name, the bass player. They had tried two or three bass players to put a bass line on the front of that song. Wilton Felder said, what you need to go do is go back and get the same guy because they didn't have the same kind of feel. You yes. Know? And so they tried to do it without me because Ben Barry probably didn't care much about me because I would call him down when he called me down, right. you know, and things like that. So, like, finally I went and, and, and went ahead and did it. But the style is kind of – I had no problem just playing the same thing. I got to tell you now, um, it, it's, it's weird because even – the Jacksons are touring now. Their bass player has nailed every note of that song, which is not is not it's not usual at all. Like I feel as though the star of Dancing Machine is the bass work on bass. it. It's just unusual, and how that almost didn't come to be is is some mind boggling. Shit. Part of my involvement with Michael Jackson in the film Ben, mm-hmm. and with the black stars, he calls it Jermaine. Jermaine always pretended to play the bass, mm-hmm. and then he became a bass player. He's the bass player, so like um, he had him, to learn him and Kenny Burke. Ah, five were, stair steps. Yeah, him and, and Kenny, you're playing on Uchao, correct? Yes, sir. Yes, you are. Okay, and so so him and Kenny Burke were always very very to me. Uh-huh. No, very, very. I, I'm trying to find a word, but I can't right now. But you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so Jermaine, I did his first album. That's that's me playing bass on his first album. On Let's Be Young Tonight and all those. Yeah. Now, are you playing bass on Iruku? Please don't break my heart right I'm, now. I'm not sure. All I do know is that I did his first album. Right. And I remember asking him. I said Jermaine, why don't you? Do? He says I can't play this. I will play it. I will be. I will play it. He said. But right now, we're trying to get the record done. He has a study, right? Okay. You know, so like Jermaine, basically was the reason that I even got involved with Michael. Uh, I did two. Michael sang on two songs. One was Ben. Okay. And then there was another song that he did. But I think my my association with the Jackson Five definitely Jermaine, definitely uh-huh. because of Jermaine. And I think for the whole thing around. Although you know, when your name is kind of shining everybody's face they do want to get what they call the best players who are not always the best players but the name is familiar right all about the name i see that you know i tell you it's very important you know like i've run across bass players and say i don't come out the house unless it's for 150 dollars or for 100 dollars. right right that's not a musician okay you should say i don't come out of a house if i'm sick or i don't come out of the house if it's in the say you don't smoke cigarettes right and you're going to do a bar playing a bar like I stopped smoking quite a while ago, yeah. and going to play in a bar is totally beneath me, right? Because of the cigarette smoke, mm-hmm. you know. Now I know how you've been feeling. <laughs> <laughs> you know. So speaking of Motown, you also have you how many Motown sessions have you done, uh, Brother me? Purdy? Yeah, uh, 
Probably four or five hundred. Really? Yeah. Well, you got me being man. <laughs> Jesus, well, you're, thing, you're also on I want you, correct? The, the the thing is, is that everybody thinks that it was all done in Detroit. Half of those things we did here in New York. Really? Mm-hmm. And you know what? Speaking of that, uh-huh. here in New York, a lot of the Motown artists when they were on tour, when they come to New York, yes, me, Bernard, and Eric would do a lot of Sunday demos for the Temptations. For a lot of groups coming out of Detroit when they came this way, that's because of the name value that we had, me, him, and, and Eric. Yeah. Um, so a lot of times we would do uh, little, little demo sessions Okay. with, with acts that are traveling. As, you remember the OJs? Yeah. Talk to me. The OJs are my homeboys, by the way. Oh, Cleveland. Yeah, the right. Cleveland Connection. Well, I had six months out of a year on Saturdays, mm-hmm. when they were not working yes. and trying to do things, they'd be here uh, making their records. Wow. And a lot of people don't know that. It's going to blow a lot of minds. But yes. when you look at Detroit, now I've been to both studios, or so the one studio that's now closed, but to the regular studio, I've been there. Get ready to go there again in, in June uh, for, for the base day. But... Um, a lot of people don't understand. When you read a credit mm-hmm. or when you read someone's interview or when you read someone's biography, mm-hmm. you have to be very careful on what you believe. Okay. Because so many things, like we're just talking about, I would not be surprised if a lot of the demos that we made, well, I, well I'm not surprised, but a lot of demos that we made for Detroit artists coming here, number one, we're not in Detroit. Detroit used the same people all the time and they lived in Detroit. Yes. When you come to New York, then you got you got at least ten bass players that are different. Ten drummers that are different. Right. Oh well I never I didn't never really care for I shouldn't say it that way, but I can't find the right words. But the Motown rhythm section was very, very basic. Mm-hmm. The only body that was different was Jameson. That's why those records are so bass ominous, if that's if that's a word. You know, but a lot of things that we did here in New York helped everybody go back home and better their record, or maybe to add to it. Okay, that kind of thing. You know, like so, like we definitely, um, like we look at the the, the wrecking crew. Somebody had the money, mm-hmm. the ego from those musicians. They're not the only musicians in L.A. <laughs> I've gotten all kinds of not all kinds. Let me let me stop. I've gotten at least three people that have called me or emailed me asking me to be a part of doing a New York rhythm section thing. Mm-hmm. Similar. Uh, similar. To mm-hmm. me, you don't need my okay. You don't need to do it. You don't need it. Mm-hmm. I lived in California for 12 years. California people have huge egos. Right. Because it's Hollywood. Right. And so they can do something like that. In New York, we don't care. We didn't care. Mm-hmm. We just didn't care. There was a time that I could listen to a record and I can tell you who the bass player was. Can't do that anymore. Can't do that now. Yeah. It's, it's um, different now because it's, it's the machine. There's some cats. I mean, you know, uh, I feel I feel Pino Palladino is probably the, the one cat um, who he holds you and Jamerson in high regards and still to this day on his work with D'Angelo, uh, 
projects that he does. I mean, you know, he still has the same precision base from 95 gajillion years ago that's in your hands right now. Like, he he's definitely keeping the, 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 the torch alive. Wait, I, I have just a few more questions. I know we got to wrap up soon. Uh, but I got to know. So your work with Leon Ware, I'm, I'm starting to realize that it's it's once a producer uses you guys and continues to use. Have you ever worked with Leon Ware before, uh, Brother Brother Purdy? Um, I got to say that your work on his rec- for Mini Ripperton and for could you describe any of those like the the I Want You sessions or any of those? Well, everything on I Want You, um, um, James Gaston describes it as a jam. And that there were no notes written. Okay. All Carmichael did was just um, put down chord changes. And maybe every now and then an ensemble lick or something like that. Um, what did you just ask me? I'm getting about, uh, no, no, about the I Want You <laughs> sessions. Oh. And so when it comes to I Want You, one basic thing now, that ain't a Marvin Gaye record. Okay. It was a Leon Ware record? Leon Ware record. Yeah. And uh, Leon always used the same people. Me, Sonny Burke, or Clarence McDonald. James Gasson and David T. Walker. Okay. And Leon, when he died, he was worth in the millions mm-hmm. because of his songwriting. Mm-hmm. He wrote a couple of things that Quincy did. Uh, when I Want You, the only drag about I Want You was that it was done in Motown. <laughs> <coughs> because uh, Leon was signed to Motown. Okay, I feel you. You know, going over there was always... Uh, when I say it's a drag, when I say it's a drag. I feel you. Sometimes business is janky. It ain't your favorite place to go, so you just. Oh, I know. <laughs> it's cool. It's cool, man. You earn the right. You earn the right. But yeah. I have never complained. I feel you. Because, like you said, just like I said, my car note, my house note, my baby's shoes, and a wife who was satisfied. Hey, at the end of the day, man. It's more important. He kept food on the table. <laughs> yep. With the two yeah. and the four. When you start and. The continuation of the thing of Motown, the person that was so underrated, mm-hmm. Mel Brown. Describe Mel. Mel Brown. Hmm? Describe Mel Brown for me, well, for those name, that don't know. That's a name for the past. <laughs> well, he was there, and he was covering for Papa, because mm-hmm. half the time he was out of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so but nice. he played... On every act, they used to get him, put him out of road on the road. Oh, okay, okay. They didn't. They didn't want him to stay in Detroit. So the Supremes. It didn't matter. The Temptations. Whoever mm-hmm. he was out with, he could get home, and they one day, maybe two days, and they get him out because there was friction. Okay. Inside, right, with all the different musicians, and you know how that friction goes. Oh, the greatest Motown producer for me is Willie Hutch. Oh, really, Willie, Willie was phenomenal. Not, not because he's from Dallas. No, but, but he because would, I worked he, with Willie, and he was a good producer. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know. Um, so you're playing on the Mac and. No. Okay, I, I, I'm sad to ask. Uh, Simpson, Ashford, and Simpson. Mm. You know, it's same thing. But see, they were from here, from New York, mm-hmm. and they were the heavy-duty songwriters, just like Smokey Robinson. 
or the the brothers, the three brothers. <laughs> uh, uh, Holland Dozier. Holland Dozier. Holland Dozier. You know what? Wait, before I wrap, there's something I got to ask that the world doesn't know about. How did you get this project, this movie project, Lee, that came out in 1973? You're drumming on it. It's like it's you on a stage uh, with a dancing woman. It's 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 uh, it just came on YouTube like. I'll say like a couple years ago, but do you know this project? Mm-hmm. How how did that come to be? It was the first time. Okay. The very first time that I got credit. Oh, okay. Okay. And uh, it was the first black X-rated movie. Oh, okay. Okay. I remember that movie. Well, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen oh, that movie? Yes, I All right, y'all, you know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. My name is Johnny B. Good, and I'm the host of the new podcast, Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. Over this nine-part series, I'll explore the life and crimes of my best friend, Ray Trapani. I always wanted to be a criminal. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. You see, Ray has this unique ability to find loopholes and exploit them. They collected $30 million. There were headlines about it. His company, Centratech, was one of the hottest crypto startups in 2017. It was going to change the world, until it didn't. I came into my office, opened my email, and the subject heading was FBI request. It was only a matter of time before the truth came out. You can only fake it till you make it for so long before they find out that your Harvard degree is not so crimson. How could you sit there and do something that you know will objectively cause more harm in the world? Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So, okay, when all is said and done, for both of you, what do you feel like your top three definitive works are as far as, can, can you even do that? Like, your three, what three songs would you save, like, the three songs that define, for both of you, what three songs are they? Well, <laughs> damn. Okay, rock steady. Okay. Us. Um, until you come back to me, 
Yes. Okay. And um, uh, <sighs> not one of the shuffles. Yes. <laughs> Nothing from Steely Dan. Not uh. <laughs> oh yeah, Steely Dan. Oh, home at last. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we'll give you home at last. <laughs> okay. All right. So, but, brother Rainey, uh, what 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 are the three that you feel are like? Well, uh, my favorite is um, the border song. Okay. I just get goosebumps and sometimes I cry. Uh, and it, it has to. It's not recorded anywhere. Yeah. Not, the border song. The border song was. Well, no, no, no. I'm talking about the live version that didn't make uh, the the, the no, final we cut. We didn't, we didn't do that on uh, Amazing Grace. Okay. No. No, it wasn't. Okay. The border song, and then also to home and last also gives me goosebumps. Okay. There's something about it. I like minor keys anyway, but I, 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 it gives me goosebumps. Okay. okay. Uh, Quincy's Along Came Betty is also something that I really, really enjoy playing. Really? Uh, actually, when you ask me that question, I don't really have, I mean, it's hard to, to pick out three. It's well, hard to pick yeah, out three. Yeah, but for me... He he just said the magic words. It's the hardest thing in the world. Now, I played safe mm -hmm. for the last 45, 50 years okay. by talking about Aretha. Mm -hmm. But this album right here. And which album is that? This is uh, done by an arranger. Okay. And uh, Gary McFarlane. Yes. Gary McFarlane. Yes. Well, Gary McFarlane. Yeah. Creator of River of Dreams. And so many other and, classes. And the point is, is that... Sack full of dreams, not river of dreams. Sorry, uh, Steve. Uh, I was going up on the elevator on 48th Street to A&R Recording Studio, and uh, Grady Tate was on the elevator with us. Mm -hmm. So we're going upstairs, you know, to record. Yeah. Wow. Grady, okay. I said, where are you going? He said, I'm going the same place you're going. I said, well, it don't sense to me going up there. <laughs> they don't need me. <laughs> I didn't know he also sang. Oh, no one knew Grady takes sing, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I didn't know. I've been knowing the man for... Oh, you just thought he was coming there to take your, your drumming gig and that was it? Yeah, well, I, I, hey, yeah. I loved him. I... Love watching him and do things and and uh, the arranger uh, knew exactly what he wanted and he also knew that I was going to be the one playing the drums, even the ones where he wasn't singing. Bam! So we actually did this album uh -huh. almost live with the whole band. I'm talking about windmills in my mind. The windmills was. It's, came after us. Oh. But this this particular album, uh, he was in the process of also doing his record. So I did his record right after. I see. So that that they had come from rehearsal together. Right. <laughs> and we'd go upstairs. This this isn't the first time that I heard uh um uh a weird Grady Tate story where people didn't know that he was also a singer. Oh, um, awesome! A lot of a lot of uh, my generation, us growing up in um, on television, never knew that he was the voice on Schoolhouse Rock. Like oh. all those little, uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> all those uh, cartoons we grew up. Um, gentlemen, I could I could 
nerd out and ask questions forever, but um, I got to wrap it up. But I, I just have to say from the bottom of my heart that um, having this conversation with you two is, is, this is one of the greatest, this is why I do what I do. Like, you guys have no idea what your uh your work and your contribution and this isn't blowing smoke up your ass or none of that like this you guys have truly uh are the ar- architects and and the 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 gas to a lot of us not just me as a musician but for a lot of us um out there and I truly thank you for it um once again Chuck Rainey and brother Bernard Purdy on Quest Love Supreme special edition uh on behalf of Fontigolo both bills, Sugar Steve and Laia. This is Questlove signing off for probably one of the greatest Questlove Supremes ever. Uh, we will see you next time on the next go round. It's Questlove Supreme only on Pandora. Thank you. Yeah. Questlove Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. This classic episode was produced by the team at Pandora. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at, at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. That's right.